0: With neat trails that the cows and horses followed religiously to waterholes. The bay was beautiful but eerie in the winter. So gray and smooth it looked like glass that would cut you just for looking at it. Sometimes it looked still and treacherous, yet at others wind blown and white capped. Gazing at it chilled me to the bone. But here I am daydreaming. There is a storm outside. I can see it through the airplane windows. I'm on a very nice private jet that Target sent to take me to do a show for them in Minneapolis. We are traveling at Mach Point 9, which is the closest to breaking the sound barrier private aircraft can go, or some such thing. It's all very surreal. No one back home would believe it. From the cockpit, the captain just informed me that we are eight miles above Colorado. Eight miles. There are flashes of lightning below. He has dimmed the cabin lights so I can better see the explosion of lights burst upward through the dense layers of black clouds, lighting up the night sky and all the stars. From the ground the storm must be fierce and hard, but from up here it is a silent light show that erupts and dances as if it were performing for me alone. Vaporous fingers of color begin to fan out on the horizon, northern lights, way up here, I had no idea they had northern lights anywhere but in Alaska. For a minute it feels like I'm home, except I'm not staring out the window of a log cabin. I'm on a private plane traveling nearly the speed of sound somewhere high above the Rockies, on my way to sing one song before being whisked off again to the premiere of my first movie, Ride with the Devil, at the Toronto Film Festival. This is different than I ever expected. It's not like savoring the simple pleasures of guiding a horse silently through the snow padded fields back home. But I know now that the same awesome force that makes it possible for me to sail the night sky and witness such splendors as tonight ensures that I can return to the splendor of simplicity and home. It's all here, always, everywhere. Country Hotel outside of Liverpool a bowl of bright fruit sits upon what i assume to be an antique table not that i'd know a true antique from a reproduction where i'm from it's hard to find anything more than say fifty years old unless you count the only true antiquities the glaciers mountains and rugged valleys europe has been mind-boggling this continent has been inhabited by a modern civilization for centuries one hundred years ago alaska was home only to different tribes athabaskan aleut Clinkett, and perhaps the occasional pillaging explorer. When I was young, like many in Alaska, I erroneously believed that all of Alaska's natives are Eskimo. But that's like saying all American Indians are Cherokee. There are many proud and distinct tribes all over Alaska. When I was seven, I went on tour with my parents to several villages in the northern interior. I remember flying in bumpy, single-engine planes low over frozen tundra, landing near a cluster of small buildings. I vividly recall being taken by dog sled to the cabin of the family that would be our host for that evening in that village. The dogs, blue-eyed huskies, were excited and yipping, their pink tongues steaming in the cold. They would drown you in licks if you let them. The ride across a lake to the cabin was endlessly white, giving me the impression that no distance at all was being gained. Though the huskies churned through the snow and the wind bit my face, All I saw was the same pale blur of snow-covered lake, lit by the full moon, and the occasional clutch of scrubby, tough little willow trees. Finally we arrived at a sturdy log cabin. Not the kind of faux rustic cabin you see in magazines, but the handmade, hand-carved, dark-oiled kind, built to endure a hell of a storm. The wood stove inside warmed the interior abundantly. Suddenly I was peeling off layers of clothing and orienting myself to my new environs. Since it was late, we settled down, ate, and before I knew it, I was asleep. The next morning, I awoke in a tall bed covered with a thick, homemade goose-down quilt. A new fire had been laid. Still my nose and ears were cold, as they had been the only body parts that dared to peep out from beneath the thick covers, and I was certainly in no hurry to expose any more skin to the biting air. Although I remember a great deal about the house, the food, and the resident chickens, dogs, and pigs... I can tell you precious little about our hosts. I remember they were white. The man had a beard and jeans with faded knees and red suspenders. The woman had braided hair and rosy, windburned cheeks. I think they were volunteer schoolteachers in the village. Whatever their other talents may have been, they served up some thick, home-cured bacon for breakfast that was salty and good. Then they harnessed the huskies and whisked us across the frozen lake again to the village. Out here, far beyond the rim of the urban melting pot, I had expected to find a traditional native village. I was surprised to discover that the village was made of rough, dirty-looking plywood. The stores, the houses, everything. It seemed confusing to me. I had been expecting igloos. While my dad set up the sound equipment for the gig, my mother and I headed off to change into our show costumes. My hair was strawberry blonde, and since I kept it in braids while I slept, long and wavy... Many of the natives had never seen blonde hair before, so I was quite a novelty. Sometimes kids would sneak up behind me just to pet my hair. I didn't know what was going on, and it scared me until my mother explained. The gymnasium filled up quickly, and before we knew it, our show was underway. No matter which direction the show took, I could be sure it would have the same finale. A yodeling contest between an audience member and my dad and me, with some sort of small prize awarded to the winner. Back in Anchorage, the prize for out-yodeling us was routinely a bottle of wine, but many of the more remote villages were dry. Alcoholism had ravaged several villages. To save their culture and lives, the people in some areas opted to prohibit the sale and consumption of alcohol, so our prize was a bottle of imported sparkling apple cider. At first, when we held it out to the winner, he went pale with excitement and fear, and there was a gasp in the crowd until my father grinned and announced that the bottle's contents were indeed alcohol-free. At another performance later in the tour, one winner told my mother he was afraid we were going to start a riot. That evening, the elders invited us to a special dance and ceremony. They wanted to perform for us as thanks for performing for them. I will never forget the hypnotic rhythm of the sealskin drums, the ancient chanting of the singers, the smooth movements and hand gestures of the dancers, who, like the indigenous dancers of the South Seas, told detailed stories about animals and legends and hunts with the subtle movements of their bodies. Best of all, I was given a tight handmade drum to play along with the others. I did everything I could to play evenly and in time. Finally the elders pulled us up to dance with them as payback for the odling I was shy and terrified, yet I loved it. I swooned like a salmon and stamped like a caribou. That night we slept in the home of the tribal chief. His daughter let me try on her parka, an incredibly beautiful and practical garment with a soft badger lining on the inside and durable fabric on the face. I was given gifts, including several scarves and a little drawing. After a hearty dinner, the chief's wife asked if I would like to try some Eskimo ice cream for dessert. Of course I said I would. Are you sure, she asked me. I got the feeling I was being baited, but I said yes anyway. My feeling was confirmed when I was served a big bowl of frozen berries drenched in seal oil and sugar. I ate it stubbornly. The oil was thick and covered my mouth and teeth in a stiff coat of cold, fishy grease. Although many natives today replace the seal oil with vegetable oil, it's still a pretty rugged way to top off a meal. All in all, my parents and I toured 10 or 12 villages during our three-week winter tour. Then we took a small plane back to our orange station wagon and drove the eight hours back home. In the car, I felt closer to my parents than ever, honored that they let me sing with them. The experience changed the way I viewed performing. In Anchorage, when we performed at the hotels for tourists, there was no reciprocity, whereas when we sang in the villages, there was a ceremonial exchange of music and craft. The villagers would perform for us and gift us with pieces of handmade art. The sacredness of performing was, for the first time, made obvious to me. It made me feel that it was an honor to sing for others, one worth working hard for. On the long drive home, I worked on mastering my first round, a tune called Rose Red, Around is a fairly simple song, but if it is sung correctly and each of the singers begins the melody at exactly the right time, beautiful harmonies result. I practiced the whole way, training my ear for the precise moment when my voice was to enter the tune, the way my friends and I waited our turn to jump into the rhythm of a twirling rope. My parents patiently sang the song over and over. Meanwhile, I yipped and sang like one of those husky puppies, excited by the unforgettable experiences we had just shared. Excited to imagine where the adventures of music might lead us next. Melbourne, Australia.